doing? I got quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> I, uh, I hope for the last few weeks that I have given you something uh, to think about. Um, I want you to know this is one thing above anything else, above whatever you think about yourself or you don't think about yourself or what have you. I want you to know that you were created for something great. Every single one of you here, and I want you to understand this, we've been talking about it for the last, you know, uh, this is a five-week series, and and we've been talking about what's been called Created for Significance, and I want you to know, and I want you to understand, you were created for something great. God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. He wants to touch you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to use you to touch those, to minister to those. He wants to do a work like you've never seen before. And I want you to know if you come in and you feel hopeless or you feel hurting or you feel like, what is my plan? What is my purpose? I want you to know that God has a great and awesome plan and he wants to use you. And a lot of times we just have to open up ourselves to receive what he wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. The last parable in these three chapters of Luke that we've been looking at, Luke chapter 16, if you got your Bibles, go there. Luke chapter 16, I'll start reading here in a moment from verse 19. But this is the last uh, parable that we've been looking at. Jesus has been telling parables. This whole time frame took about, uh, uh, I don't know, a a very long conversation. Uh, If you want to compare it to the Sermon on the Mount... The Sermon on the Mount was three chapters in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So these parables, these stories that Jesus was telling to the Pharisees and he was telling to the, the disciples and those that were around there, that we also know there was uh, tax collectors, there were sinners there that they claimed that the, the Pharisees called sinners. And they were all there listening to Jesus tell these stories. And this is the final story that Jesus tells in, this, in these three chapters. It's the last parable. And, and Jesus gives us a story about two men that come from two completely different backgrounds. One, Jesus calls the rich man. Some ancient texts have called this guy Dives. <laughs> Isn't that a funny name? Dives. You know what Dives means? It means rich man. That's exactly what it means. It means rich man. And so he was called Dives, uh, if you want to use that. Jesus didn't necessarily give him a name. It's just some ancient text that gave him a name. And then the other man, Jesus gives the name Lazarus. Now, I want you to understand, this is not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. This is a completely, as far as everything that we can see and everything that we know, this is a completely fictional story. This is most parables, pretty much all parables, Jesus would just tell stories. It, there's never ever been an indication, nor did Jesus ever say that, hey, this was a true story. He just would tell a story. It was a parable. And, and he would use these stories, these illustrations, to uh, let people know about something. And that's what was happening here. But he gives the name, I believe he gives the man the name Lazarus because of the meaning of its name. The name Lazarus means God has helped. And I believe that he's using that as an indication because you see, the Pharisees would understand and know what the name Lazarus meant. They knew what it meant. And so here Jesus is given this story. So if you would, let's look at this story. Let's read this story found in Luke chapter 16. And I want to begin at verse 19. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen 
and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Everybody say, ooh. (laughs) The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, he's talking about the Old Testament. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, and then a bunch of prophets wrote the others. And so that's what he's referring to here. Uh, Then verse 30, No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I believe this story gives us a great look at two different views. We get a look at what life looked like for these two men while they were alive, and we get a look into the life of those two after they died. This is a glimpse that Jesus gives us into the afterlife. And in each case, there are two contrasting differences. The rich man's life was a life full of luxury. I mean, he dressed in purple and fine linen. This guy was styling and profiling. I mean, he had it all. He had the gold. He had the jewelry. He had the fancy car. He had the big house on the the side of the hill. I mean, everybody wanted to be him. Everybody wanted to look like him. Everybody wanted to talk like him. Everybody said, that man is the man and I want to be like him. I mean, this was the guy that showed up to business in a Armani suit. He had the Rolex on his wrist. I mean, this guy was popping up in a limo. And I mean, people were wanting to know who he was, how he made his money. I mean, this guy was living the life, right? I mean, he was it. And then there was Lazarus. Lazarus was the guy that people would carry him. They would carry him to the gate of the rich man's house. They would lay him at the gate because he couldn't, he couldn't do anything. He had sores covered on his body. It might have been leprosy. We don't know exactly, but he was just covered in sores. And it was like, somebody help me. Somebody, if I could just have... He didn't ask for a meal. He didn't ask for a, a full meal or, a, or any, a three-course or any kind of meal. He said, if I could just get the crumbs off this man's table... The crumbs. Anybody ever had ate cornbread? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, crumbs, right? I mean, when you eat cornbread, there's no way that cornbread's going to stay together because you're going to eat it. It's going to go everywhere, right? 
And then if you try to talk with cornbread in your mouth, it just, just spits everywhere. Just cornbread flying everywhere. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, cornbread is, me- is messy. And he's thinking, if I could just get a little bit of those crumbs, that's all I want. Two different lifestyles. Two different images of who they are. One guy didn't feel like he needed anybody. He wanted to be his own self. He wanted, it was like he wanted to be godlike. You get the picture? I don't need nobody. I've got money that I can rely on. I've got my fame that I can rely on. I've got my, my, myself, everything that I can do. I, I can live for myself. I can be myself. I can do myself. But you see, Lazarus had to depend on everybody because he couldn't survive without the help of others. He understood what it was like to depend on people. So there's two different contrasts. And then all of a sudden, these guys, Jesus tells a story. He says they die and they go to their resting place. He even says that uh, the rich man dives. I love that. The rich man had a funeral. The text says this, that he, he, he was buried and he had a funeral. And it says that the beggar, Lazarus, was taken and placed at Abraham's side. In other words, he probably didn't have any family, had nobody that would come see him, nobody that would bury him, nobody that would do anything. He was just taken immediately from this earth and placed at Abraham's side. So we know that the rich man had everything. He had it all. He had the family. He had the friends. He had, we know that he had brothers because he says later on that he had five brothers. So we know that he had everything that he could possibly want on this earth and yet that could possibly make him satisfied and happy living on this earth. But yet Lazarus had nothing, had to depend on everybody, had no family, had no home, had, had nothing. He just begged for whatever he could get. All he wanted was just some crumbs. And we see what happens they go to their resting place. Luke 22, or uh, chapter 16, verse 22 said, The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So now the tides have turned. Do you notice that? The rich man is now going to torment in hell, or Hades, as this scripture points out. And the beggar is now going to paradise. Now, is it wrong to have money and wrong to have wealth and wrong to ha- No, it's not. But it is wrong to treat the people the way the rich man treated people. It is wrong to do the things that the rich man did depending only upon himself, not depending on anybody else, not wanting to give, not wanting to love, not wanting to care, not wanting to do any of those things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand if you look at each and every one of us, I know most of us, probably none of us here would say, I'm rich. But can I tell you that according to the world's standards that we are rich? Do you realize that, that we, the United States of America, has more wealth than any of the other nations? We are a very wealthy nation. Our people are very wealthy. We have the freedom to go make all the money we want. We have the freedom to go out and do the things we want. We can take our money. We can invest it. And, and, and if we're lucky, it'll keep going and keep going and keep going and keep moving up. But can I tell you that if we hoard all those things and we keep all those things to ourselves and we aren't blessing others, then that's, that's wrong. That's a sin. 
we, can, we have to be able to give blessings. I'm not saying you have to give money. I'm saying we have to give blessings. We have to bless people. Find ways to bless. There are other ways to bless people than just by giving money. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of times we think of blessings as giving money. And that is part of it. But there are other ways that you can bless people. Do you know that the words that we speak and the words that we say to people blesses people? Do you know that the actions that we do, the things that we do, that blesses people? And we, as being rich, yes, we not, may not be wealthy in money-wise, but we are rich in life and health and love and all these things. And if we keep that and we hoard it to ourselves and we say, I don't need nobody else, I don't need God, then we end up like the rich man. And the rich man was found in torment. The rich man was found in hell. That's what Hades is. Hades is the Greek word for hell. It's a place for departed spirits. It's the destiny of those who have refused to believe. And we find out in verse 24 that the torment is flames. Plus, he could also see what he was missing by looking into paradise. And I believe that it's ironic that the same thing that the beggar faced on earth, we now see the rich man facing it in eternity. Looking at what he couldn't have because of the choices that he made on earth. And in contrast to the rich man, Lazarus must be a God-fearing man despite the fact that God had not allowed him an easy or pleasant lifetime on earth. Verse 22 says the angels carried him to Abraham's side. You know who was at the head of the table? Abraham. Abraham was the he was the leader of the Jewish nation. He was the leader of the Jewish people. The people looked up him as father because they all descended from Abraham's family. He was the head of the table. Do you follow what I'm saying? He was the man in charge. He was the man that was higher than anything they could possibly think of. And they looked up and they said, if I could just show that I'm a good person to Father Abraham, then maybe I can get a seat at Father Abraham's table. But the fact was, he wasn't didn't do what he was supposed to, didn't love God, and he chose his wealth and his riches and all the lifestyle that he had, and he put those above everything else. But yet, the beggar, Lazarus, he didn't have wealth or anything else to put his trust in, so his trust was in God. You know, we talked, was a couple, or last week, we talked about mammon. Mammon says you don't need God. That spirit of mammon says that all you need is money. The spirit of mammon says that all you need is wealth. All you need is, is you, you don't need to rely on God for anything. Just rely on money. Money's not evil. Money in itself is not evil. But here, the rich man, he relied on his wealth. You know, the rich man's calloused heart, self-sufficiency, unresponsiveness to God got him delivered to the place of his own making and choosing. In the afterlife, God grants the rich man's wish, just like he does with all those who choose to ignore and to push him away from his invitation. See, we get a choice. That's the great thing about God, right? God gives us a choice. He gives us free will. Some people say, well, why does God, why does God let this happen? Because it's free will. 
We could live in a perfect world and God would, God would take care of everything. There'd be no disease, there'd be no cancer, there'd be no problems, there'd be no issues, there'd be no uh, bad storms, no bad weather, no disasters, no nothing. We could live in a perfect world, but you wouldn't have your free will. Because God would control everything. It'd be like God would be a dictator. But God loves us and he cares so much for us that he gives us that free will. Do you follow what I'm saying? That's the reason, that's the reason why there's sin in the world. There's a reason why there's evil in the world. There's a reason why there's bad things that happen to good people. It's because we have free will. It means we can eat, we can do, we can live however we think we should live. But God says, look, you will have life, health, and, and you will live a, a pretty good life, if you will, a great life, if you will follow my word. He lays it out for us. It's an instruction manual. Everybody ever play video games? Or not video games. Anybody ever play games? You know, the board games? What's the first thing you do? You, you, take, out the, you take out the board, and you take out all the pieces, and you remember, you know, they're like in a piece of cardboard. You have to punch them all out, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then you, and you look at it and you go, what I do now? Right? Because you don't know how to play the game without what? The instructions. If I handed you a game you had never played before and I didn't give you the instructions, you'd be lost, would you not? That's why in this life, God gives us an instruction manual called the Bible. And he says, this is how you should live your life. And as long as you live according to what I'm reading to you and giving to you, the scriptures and everything, then you will have a healthy and a loving and a caring and a great and wonderful life. And I, and I know that, it's, that you're not going to be perfect. God says that, I'm sure. He understands that we're not perfect people because sin is in the world, right? And so there are times that we aren't going to do the things that we should do or say the things that we should say or live the way that we should live because we're not perfect and we have our own free will because he loves us and he cares for us that he gives us that free will. The same thing with the rich man. He had his free will and yet he put his trust in the riches. He didn't put his trust in God. But Lazarus had his free will, and we don't know why he became a beggar or what happened. We do know that being a beggar was a profession back then. Did you know that? It was a profession. Why he chose that profession, I don't know, but he did. And so he begged for whatever he could get, and that was the life he he chose. But what he did was he did put his trust in God. Is everybody with me? The rich man didn't put his trust in God. He put it in what he could do. The beggar put his trust in God. He put all his trust in what God could do. That's the reason why when they died, the rich man goes, he lives in hell, he lives in torment, he lives in the fire because he trusted in everything except God. And the beggar goes to to Abraham's side, to Abraham's bosom, it says, and he goes there. Why? Because he put his trust and his faith in God and he believed that there was something far greater in the afterlife than what this earth has to have for me. So we have this story. And understand, God's everywhere, amen? Do you believe that? I believe that God's everywhere. He knows everything, right? You can look all around and you can see that God exists. You can see it in his creation. You can become fascinated with all the beauty. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we went to a place for vacation, for a spring break. San Antonio, anybody ever been there? 
there is this place called Natural Bridge Caverns. It is amazing. And you take this uh, tour, this walk, you walk down 180 feet below the earth's surface. And can I tell you that there are rooms underneath that that are bigger than this sanctuary that we're in. It's like a whole nother world down there. There is water down there. There is, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely phenomenal. And we went through this. It's something that all of our family loved. And we just had one of the most great times that we've ever had just on that, you know, sure, were we tired? Oh yeah, we were tired because you have to walk up. They've made you know, made it to where you can walk up areas and they've put steps in to kind of help you get out of this too. But it's a, I mean, it's a walk. It probably took us about 45 minutes to go through it, but we go 180 feet below, or maybe 180 meters, I'm not sure, below uh, the ground into these areas. And I mean, there was just rooms that was just bigger than our sanctuary, just massive. And you look down there and you think, how could anyone say there's not a God? There is no way that man could have ever made this like this. Because just over time, just, it was just naturally, God just created it and just made it to where it was just absolutely beautiful and phenomenal. But I say all this to understand that, that God is amazing and, he, and he's wonderful and he, he loves us. And, and, and God doesn't, you know, God doesn't, uh, 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 but God's everywhere. He he get, you know, we get to spend eternity with him, right? If we accept Jesus as our Savior. And, and if you think about hell, so we know that God's presence is in, is in uh, heaven with us. But in hell, do you know that God is completely absent? And why is that? It's because he wants to respect the choice of those who have chosen against him. That's what the rich man has done. He's chosen to not have God in his life. And you see, when we choose here on earth to not have God in our life, then we choose to not have God in our life in eternity. Do you follow what I'm saying? If we accept God here and we ask Jesus to come be our Lord and Savior, then we get to spend eternity with him. But if we reject God and we say that we don't want to have anything to do with God, we want to live for ourselves. we want to live for our own means, our own beings. Matter of fact, I don't even want to believe that God exists, then guess what? We will spend eternity without him as well. The rich man never really thought about it, the consequences of his choice. He never consciously uh, verbalized to himself that pushing God away throughout his life on earth could mean that he would spend eternity without him. Matter of fact, he's surprised when he finds himself in this terrible place. In verse 23, Jesus tells us that he was in torment. And it's at this point in the story that the rich man, he, he finally comes to his senses. He realizes, he decides that even though it's too late for him, maybe it's not too late for his friends and family. And he begins asking Abraham, could you get Lazarus to just dip his finger in water and just come and just give me some relief? And he says, no, there's a great chasm that's, that separates us from you. Nobody can come and nobody can come over here. There's, there, there's no way to get over to that side. It's too late for you. And he says, well, Abraham, what about if you just send Lazarus back to go tell my family 
so that they don't come to this place. He said, look, they've got the prophets. They've got, a, they got Moses and all the prophets, all the Old Testament, because you've got to understand, that was their Bible back then. That's all they had was the Old Testament. And they said, they can read those scriptures. They can find out the truth there. And he said, but they won't. He knows his family. The rich man knows his family. He's like, they won't. They, if somebody could just come back from the dead and tell them, then they'll change their ways. They'll change their ways. And then I like what Jesus said, and I believe that Jesus was looking ahead, and he was letting them know, look, even if a man dies on a cross and rises from the dead, they will not give their life. You see, I believe Jesus was looking, and he was telling them, look, there are going to be some people that even after I go to the cross, and I die on that cross, and I come back from the dead, there are going to still be people that will turn away from us what he was telling them think about it the rich man was probably like you know I'm a good guy I'm from an affluent family I have lots of friends I don't cheat on my wife I don't shortchange the waiter I don't cheat on my taxes basically I'm a good guy certainly I'm a likable guy God's got to let me into heaven he's probably thinking man I threw some of the best parties while on earth Everybody wanted to be me. Everybody wanted to look at me. Everybody loved me. I was the life of the party. But it couldn't happen. Once eternity hits, it's over. It's done. It's, it's finished. And I believe it probably only took him about five minutes in, right? I mean, don't you think? He probably wasn't there very long before he starts realizing, this is not a place I want to be. It might have been instantaneously. I, I don't know. It might have, after he screamed for a little bit, he might have realized this is not where I want to be with my life. Can somebody go tell my family, you know? And I don't know if you understand revival at all. But here, this man is having a revival. What's he doing? He's crying out for himself. And he's crying out for his loved ones. But yet the revival is too late. The revival's too late. He's crying out for those around him. He's wanting something great, something grand for everybody else to not come where he's at. But yet it's come too late. I want to give you three things real quick about this that I believe that Jesus is trying to tell us. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. I just want to give you three things. The first one, according to Jesus... Our location in eternity is not based on social standing or lineage. It's based on grace. Look at what Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. He says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing.